Yes, so we're reading from Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Karen, well, would you like a quick way to describe God so others can understand? And um, even better, so they can understand and remember. Are we sounding a bit tinny? Is that all right? All right, good, just me. Um, I think this passage gives, gives us one. And the people of Nineveh are easy to remember and might help us to remember that quick line. So this morning's talk, as you can see in the outline, divides into four parts. God gives Jonah a second chance. The Ninevites listen to Jonah. God gives the Ninevites a second chance. And Jesus is better. They are not equal parts, I'll just say. Part one is very short. Part two is quite long. Part three is quite long. Part four is very short. So... If you're sitting there thinking it's going to be a five-minute sermon at the end of part one, it won't be. If you're thinking it's going to be a 55-minute sermon at the end of part two, it won't be. Right, part one, God gives Jonah a second chance. Verse one of uh, Jonah three. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Now, God could have said to Jonah, mate, you're dumb. You've had your chance. Look, I was kind enough to rescue you from the fish, but I've had enough. You're out. But he doesn't, does he? Verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. See, it's not as if Jonah turned around and said, look, God, I'm sorry, I'll go. Despite that, God gives Jonah a second chance. I was asked to provide a title for this talk, and I'm actually not, often not one for titles. It's the last thing I'll think about, and, uh, which means I don't think about it. So I was asked, Jeff, title for this sermon. What does one do when one is stuck in the modern age? Well, I'm told the young people ask Siri. I'm not, I'm not young. So I Googled it. And the Google responses came up with things like, 
the greatest sermon ever preached. I thought... Sorry, that wasn't meant to be a joke. <laughs> I think they're referring to Jonah. Um, and I thought, well, I wasn't sure. Uh, they had the Ninevites respond. Yeah, true, but a bit dull. Um, for God so loved Nineveh. I thought, oh, oh, good, good. I think it's next week, though. Anyway, I think that's next week. For God so loved Nineveh. And then I came across this, the God of second chances. And I thought, that's it, isn't it? That is our God. He's the God of second chances. He gives Jonah a second chance. And as we've seen there, he gives Nineveh a second chance. And as in the memory verse we were just given by Cameron, he saves us even while we're still sinners. But the funny thing about this is the Ninevites listen to Jonah. Verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. If we were to nominate the 10 most likely groups of people to turn to God, I don't imagine Nineveh would have been one of them. They weren't exactly nice people. They were wicked. Remember how God described them in Jonah chapter 1 verse 2. Jonah, uh, sorry, had God described them to Jonah. He said, 1 verse 2, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. See, God knows what they're like. They're wicked. And as you see later in the passage, that the king himself even says they're wicked. Let them give up their evil ways, he says. But it's funny how things work, because... It's often the unsurprising people who turn around. In the passage in Ezekiel, which is behind me, all going well. Um, so this is from Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 5 to 6. And it's God speaking to Ezekiel about who he's sending him to. And he says, You're not being sent to a people of obscure speech and strange language, but to the people of Israel. Not to many peoples of obscure speech and strange language whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I'd sent you to them, they would have listened to you. And so we see that all sorts of things can happen. We often have these groups of people in our mind who will not listen. But lo and behold, they do. I've been reading a bit about the Israel Folau controversies, I'm sure many of you have. And it's really uh, got me interested. And one of the comments after an article about him, one of the comments from the readers below... Uh, described how funny it was that Europeans sent all these missionaries, spent all this money sending people to the Pacific Islands, to places like Tahiti to convert them to Christianity. And here we are several hundred years later when those Pacific Islanders tell us about Christianity and we don't like it. Isn't it funny how things can change? The Ninevites even turn to God. The most unlikely people do listen, don't they, sometimes? The Ninevites, in Ezekiel's time, God says, you know, strange people would have listened, people with strange language. Paul, who persecuted the church, then became a missionary for the church. People in the Pacific Islands. And even now, the Chinese. Who would have thought that so many people from China would turn to Christianity? 
And the Ninevites listen, not because Jonah was great, I wouldn't have thought, but despite Jonah, wouldn't you reckon? See, there's no reason to think that Jonah was the ideal missionary. First of all, he ran away from God. And in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, But to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. When I was training, being trained to preach many years ago, someone was teaching me stuff, one of the things lines was, if you're going to tell people you know, about God and about bad news that might be coming to them, you've got to, you've got to care for them, you've got to love them properly. Well, they won't listen. I don't think Jonah fit that, do you? He, um, he'd seemed like the opposite. And yet, the people listened. So it's easy for us to think, oh, well, I, I can't do that because my motives aren't right. I don't think Jonah's motives are right. Then invites listen. And have a look at Philippians 1. If I'm lucky enough to have it there, Joel. It's there, there it is. So this is from Philippians 1, from verse 15, and then 17 to 18. Paul saying, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. See, that's what matters, isn't it? Whether Christ is preached or not. If people don't hear, they can't change. God uses unlikely people like Jonah, like the people with false motives, to bring others to himself. Perhaps he'll use us too. And then he invites listen to spite the message. It was a pretty simple message, but it wasn't necessarily the most happy one, was it? Not really what you want to hear for your morning coffee. Verse 4. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Great message, Jonah. Really encouraging. See, mostly we want to hear good news. You know, God's going to bless you. You'll have good health, lots of money, big and happy family and a long life. That's not the message. Message is 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That is, God will be judged. I suspect that as Christians, we don't talk about judgment much. But there are good reasons. Firstly, the Ninevites believed when all they heard uh, was judgment. And secondly, very often when we read the Bible, those passages we love, they actually have an undercurrent of judgment. For example, John 3.16 we all know it. And all there it is. It comes up there before it comes down here. Is that how it works? That's how it works. Excellent. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You don't have to look at it very hard, do you, to realise that actually there's a message of judgment in there. That if you don't believe in the son, well actually, you will perish. And John 3.36, a bit more explicit. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life. Why not? For God's wrath remains on them. So there is judgment. We shouldn't hide from that, I don't think. We shouldn't hide it from others. 
And I wonder if you know who this man is. Or actually, Joel, before you flick, oh, too late, there he is. His name's Penn Gillette. I always assumed that Penn was his surname. But it turns out, oh, sorry, yeah, it's fine. Penn, there, you may know him from Penn and Teller, fame. Yeah. Great magician, obviously a very, very clever man. And he has a great way with words. But here's an argument about why Christians should mention um, things that really matter and why we should talk about them. And uh, I think it's very compelling. And here it is here. He says, as I've always said, you know, that I don't respect people that don't proselytise. I don't respect that at all. So just a point, he's an atheist. Uh, If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, well, it's not really worth telling them this because that would make it socially awkward. How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. I think Penn has a point. It's a heavy message, but it makes sense. We need to talk about stuff. We need to talk about God and eternal life. And that includes God's judgment. See, I think, actually, the whole argument is that Israel Folau, sorry, back to Israel Folau for a moment. It's the subject of the week, isn't it? If Israel Folau was truly homophobic, he would have said nothing. I think by saying that if you're a homosexual or greedy or an atheist or any of the other whole list of things that he included, you need to turn. I think that's loving and caring. Yes, it might be socially awkward, but it's also loving, isn't it? Now, I think we can also think that if we talk about things like this, that what actually happens is that people, instead of coming closer to God, we find that when we confront them like this, they become further from God. And I think that does happen. I think that often is the case. But I also think that we shouldn't worry about that because that's just to be expected. That's the character of talking about God. As Paul outlines in 2 Corinthians 2, he says, For we are, I presume that will come up, Joel. Have I got the right place? Beautiful. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To, To the one we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. Yes, that is how it works. Sometimes when we talk about hard topics, people will uh, become harder. They will hate it. But that's because we are an aroma that brings death to them, unfortunately and sadly. Over um, Easter, we're in New South Wales. We were near a church that looks like that. That is the inside of EV Church. It is the church to be at. It is the IT Church. Um, so much so that uh, when uh, Trinity was adopting the 5Ms method, um, many of our ministers went up to EV Church to go to a conference to learn how to do 5Ms. And no doubt it was the, five, um, the pastors of EV Church who were prominent in teaching about it. It's it in a bit. We arrived there, great car park. We had, I think, 10 people guide us to our car park. That's the size of it. And so while I was there, I thought, it'd be good. I wanted to see what it was like on the inside. 
I wanted to see what it was that made them great. And so we went Easter Sunday. The music was good, I thought. Not spectacular. It was good. Uh, The sermon was good. Not spectacular. I found it interesting, though, that even on Easter Sunday, while celebrating Jesus' resurrection, uh, God's judgment got quite a, quite a mention. I thought, hmm, I wonder if that's what, you know, what sharpens people up and what makes them think. Hmm, don't know. So, um, then he invites to listen to Jonah. Well, so what? They'd been evil. They were not nice people. So even the king doesn't say, hey, actually, you know, Jonah, we're good. We don't deserve God's anger. Rather, he says, verse 8, let them give up their evil ways and their violence. But the good news is that God gives the Ninevites a second chance. See, firstly, he gives them a second chance just by sending Jonah. He could have just said nothing and destroyed the place. But he sent Jonah to say they would be destroyed. And I think by doing that, he gives them an opportunity to change. And he didn't give them that second chance, of course, because they were good. He gave it to them despite their past. So even when he describes how kind he was, it mentions their past. Verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. See, it's so strong that you almost feel like God has changed his mind. You know, has God been lying? Uh, Perhaps there's irony in Jonah's message. See, Jonah said back in verse 4, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Well, Nineveh is indeed overthrown, isn't it? Not in the judgment sense, but in the sense of overthrown and they take a completely new approach to life. And when we dig a little deeper, um, we see that God has been forgiving and kind. Well, perhaps not so much because of their action. See, their action wasn't that great. They didn't, as far as we can see here, acknowledge the God of Israel. They didn't go to uh, God's temple in Jerusalem to worship. They didn't get circumcised like the Israelites at that time. All we have recorded for us is that they turned from their evil ways. Verse 10. And yet... When God sees that, he relents. It's like God is the God of second chances. He's waiting for a response and then, bang, a second chance. It reminds me of um, soccer teams. Broadly speaking, there are, I've classified them, two sorts of soccer teams. There are those that are hard to get into and those that are easy to get into. Now, I have two pictures of men. Here we go. Here's one man. And um, I wonder if you know who he is. He might need to be a soccer fan to know him. And there is another man. You do not need to be a soccer fan to know who he is, I would have thought. And they both have something in common. I wonder if you can tell me... Oh, they have a few things in common, actually. So I wonder if you can tell me, we'll make this interactive, what these two men... Do you want to go up to... I was almost going to say his name. That wouldn't be good, would it? Up to the previous one? No, not that one. That's it. That fella and the next guy. In terms of soccer, what do they have in common? Anyone hazard a guess? Plenty of things. Lucky? They both play soccer. They both play soccer. Excellent. Actually, I think you might want to put that in the past tense. Have played. I'm not sure if David Beckham still plays. 
Oh, I said his name. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, no. Beckham, Beckham was a midfielder, wasn't he? Beckham was a midfielder. They're both very good at soccer. You are... That is correct, Helen. They weren't both married to a Spice Girl. Anyone else want to have a go? Oh, George. Liverpool? No. 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 Yeah, he played for Man United before going to another club. And the other bloke. So anyone else? Anyone for anyone? Oh. Oh, they do both have a uniform on. That wasn't what I was going with. Thank you. Excellent, excellent suggestions. Oh, Ethan. Ethan's got... Ethan's... Were they? I'm not sure. The first guy. First guy, yeah. Do you want to name the first guy? No. Who's the first guy? Hang on, I'll just go back to him. That's Hamas Rodriguez, by the way. One of the world's top players. Came, came in the 2014 World Cup and just destroyed the show. I think he was... Um, was he top goal scorer or best player? Top goal scorer in the World Cup. And um, so what... Real Madrid, who's a very hard team to get into, did, where they said, we'll have him, thank you very much. And of course, this guy, David Beckham, um, he was a very good player for Manchester United. And, and Real Madrid didn't mind having him either. So in both cases, they brought these two top players into their team. Now, the funny thing about both these guys is they're very, very good players. I reckon I would rate Beckham as, I don't know, one of the top ten players in the world at the time or something. He was very good. And um, strangely, he turns out to Real Madrid. The problem is there's a, not a couple of really good players at Real Madrid. They played Beckham's position. So Beckham hardly played when he turned up for Real Madrid. It's an extraordinarily hard team to get into. Hamas Rodriguez, whoops. One of the best players in the world. Again, turns up to Real Madrid. Sorry, mate. Actually, we've got someone else who plays your sort of role. Um, yeah, look, just sit on the bench and, and we'll get you on when we need you. Um, if we need you. And so you've got this, this team, Real Madrid, which is an extraordinarily good team. They've won the last three champ- European Champions Leagues. Very, very, very hard to get into. Um, even if you're you know, one of the best players in the world, you may not get in because they have others. Now, so that's on the one hand, hard to get in. On the other hand, we have... Uh, this team. Now, I wonder if you recognise who or what that is. Um, probably not too famous. That is the illustrious Unley Browns. Um, we just won... Well, we were runners-up in F grade uh, recently. And you get in by turning up. So, if you turn up, you're it. It doesn't matter your shape, your size, or your skill level, or your age. Um, you're pretty much in. Can I say, I think it's pretty obvious, that getting into God's good book, so to speak, is not like getting into Real Madrid. It's much more like getting into the illustrious Unley Browns. So you don't have to be amazingly perfect. You just have to, dare I say it, use a pun, turn. Turn up to the Browns, turn around, shall we say, 
to get into God's kingdom. Look at this passage. It describes it again. Uh, this is God describing himself, or it will be when it gets there. God describing himself to Moses. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. See, what's God like? Well, firstly, you'd say he's compassionate, gracious and forgiving. It's not all there is to say, but I think it's the first thing we say. He is gracious. See, all the Ninevites had to do was turn from evil. They didn't fix up all the stuff they'd done in the past. They hadn't done more good than bad. See, they didn't reach their ideal moral goals. But, verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So we did not need to panic about whether we are good enough, whether the good we've done outweighs the bad we've done. Because God is not the God of the scales. He's the God of second chances. Yes, he will punish sin. Uh, He has punished sin in Jesus. But he calls on people to turn to him and away from evil. And when they do, he forgives. As we saw from John 3.16 earlier. Anyone who believes in Jesus. Well, Jesus looks back on this story of uh, the Ninevites in chapter 3 and says, well, he says one thing, doesn't he? He says, I am better. Or, not me, Jesus. Jesus is better. Uh, Luke 11, verse 32. He says, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. Now, repented is a bit of a fancy word. I looked it up, uh, I googled it, uh, to find out what it meant. And up came the definition of Wikipedia, saying one makes a complete change of direction, a 180-degree turn towards God. And I wonder, I thought, probably it's not bad. You could probably repent of being a Christian and unbecome one, but anyway, we'll leave it at that. It's just a fancy way of saying turn, but I guess if you're saying turn, you might turn this much. But repent is pretty clear that you turn, you know, you turn a lot. That's what we're saying. The men of Nineveh, they turned. And so Jesus' generation, who have Jesus, so much greater than Jonah with his miracles and his teaching, they should have turned and they didn't. And we have Jesus too. And so clearly we too should turn. We can't just go on living how we always want to live, living our own way. We also need to turn from our evil and turn to God. So, in summary, um, this chapter uh, tells us, reminds us perhaps that it's loving to warn people about the judgment. Because who knows which people will turn to God and avoid that judgment. Just as, and just as God had compassion on the Ninevites, 
So he's promised he'll have compassion on anyone who turns to him and turns to his son. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love you've shown us in Jesus. We thank you that even while we were sinners, you sent your son to die for us. We pray that you help us uh, to always turn to you and to give us strength to warn others so they may also turn to you. Amen.